Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 200, believe it or not. I'm still your host, Jim Hawk, and in this session, we'll be picking up on 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 and on. We're going to go very fast. I expect that we will finish not only 1 Kings, but all of 2 Kings, and I'm hopeful that we'll do it in this session. Let's see. First of all, I'm not going to go into all of the history here. Uh, this is a class, of course, on doctrine and what to do with that doctrine. What am I supposed to do with the information that I'm given? So there's quite a bit of uh, historical uh, things in here that I'm going to skip over. I'm not suggesting that you don't read it. I'm saying for our purposes, we're going to look at uh, what's important in terms of doctrine and in, in terms of what life lessons can we learn from these events. So that said, First uh, Kings chapter uh, 19, verse 19 on, Elijah is getting a little long in the tooth, and he is going to pass over the mantle, which is an, another word really for a cloak, to Elisha. So Elisha is going to be his student. So what are we going, what can we learn from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21, where Elisha is uh, is now going to be working with Elijah and ultimately will take over as the prophet to the north, which is Israel. Well, Elijah says, hey, I want you to come with me. I'm going to paraphrase here. And Elijah thinks about it just for a minute or so. And then Elijah leaves everything that he has, you know, his oxen, his cart, etc., And in fact, he burns it for uh, fuel to feed his family for a little bit. And then he immediately follows Elijah. Now that might strike you as a little weird that someone who had never met Elijah would do this so instantaneously. Well, Eli Elisha had undoubtedly heard of Elijah from the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and his dealings with the evil king Ahab of Israel in 1 Kings 18 which we just covered in the last or maybe the previous to last uh, session. So um, Elisha knew who Elijah was, although he had not met him before this, and he followed him immediately. Uh, Jesus also in his ministry cautioned against fence sitting. You know, he said to the rich young ruler, you know, he said, come and follow me. And the guy says, well, you know, I can't. I got some other things to do first, right? So what's the message for us? When you become convinced of the truth, when you become convinced of your need for salvation, your need for eternal life, your need for Jesus, don't sit on the fence. Get going. Uh, get rid of the stuff that's holding you back and, and go for it. So that would be the message for us. Uh, moving on to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1, so you're going to have to turn a few pages here. And Elijah uh, tells ah Ahaziah, who is a, a new king, that, uh, hey, you're going to die because you consulted, uh, you know, demonic forces. Uh, you know, you basically fell into, like, fortune telling and things like that. And so you're going to die. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 1 of 2 Kings Elijah says, uh, what was the man like who came up to you, meaning um, Ahaziah's servant, 
and said these things to you. And verse 8, you might want to underline verse 8 of chapter 1 of 2 Kings. It says, wearing a hairy garment with a leather girdle about his loins. And the king says, oh, that's, that's Elijah. So who else in the New Testament wore a hairy garment with a with a, a leather leather belt like thing around his loins. Well, you may want to write in your margins John the Baptist next to verse 8 of chapter 1. John the Baptist, and if you were looking for a verse for that, that would be Matthew chapter 3 verse 4. So um so we see that Elijah is sort of prefigures or uh, is is a type of John the Baptist, right? Because of the way he's dressed. And you'll see that particularly in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. So a, a lot of the good figures prefigure other good figures, primarily Jesus, right? Okay. Um... What else do I want to show you as we as we move on uh, there? Okay, what about 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11? I would be remiss if I didn't point this out. Elijah is carried to heaven on a flaming chariot, and uh, uh, flaming horses came between them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So yes, there is a heaven. Yes, you can go there. And Elijah kind of shows the way, right? So in that sense, he's kind of a prefigurement of who? Jesus with the with the resurrection. Um on a on a chariot of fire. So perhaps you're familiar with the movie about the uh, the English um the, the the English runner uh and the movie is called Chariots of Fire and now you know where that title came from. Okay. So you'd be pretty ignorant if you didn't at least learn that. So I promised I wasn't going to talk about history a lot, and I'm not, but that's that's in there. Okay, so by the way, Elijah, you may want to write this in your margins next to, uh, let's say, verse 16 of 2 Kings chapter 1. Elijah was the prophet from approximately 852 to 783 BC. He only served like two kings. Now he's passed the mantle to Elisha, and Elisha, when the first time you see Elisha, you might want to write in the margins, oh, could be, you know, in chapter two somewhere in your margins. Elisha was the prophet from about, um, uh, well, what, what do we got here? Elisha is, is the prophet after that for about five kings. From so we'll we'll just we'll just go with that. All right. Now, when Elisha becomes the prophet, the first weird thing that we see, and this is kind of unexplainable, really, is uh, and, and Elisha goes and heals most of Elisha's. Uh, miracles, because he does perform miracles just as Jesus does. Um, you know, he, he uh, cleans up the water just as Jesus did at the, you know, the the um, wedding at Cana where Jesus takes water and turns it into wine. Well, Jesus, uh, Elisha takes bad water and turns it into good water. But here's a weird thing. 
And it's so weird that I'm going to cover it because, again, you're going to run into skeptics from the Bible who are of the Bible who are going to say, how can you believe in a Bible that tells a story like this? says, Elisha, now he's, he's in control because Elijah's gone. Verse 23 of chapter 2, Elisha went up to Bethel. When he was on his way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him. Go up, bald head, they shouted. Go up, bald head. So there's a bunch of little kids, and they're shouting at him. And uh, it says that he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now, be sure, to be sure, it doesn't say that that was a good thing. Remember, the Bible uh, reports the story warts and all. So it's not saying that uh, Alicia cursing these little kids is a good thing. It just says that it happened. So that's point number one. Point number two, why are these ball, why are these boys getting on him for being bald? Well, it may be that um, Alicia had taken a religious vow that uh, required him to shave his head. I mean, people do that today. I mean, if, if you look at Tibetan monks and whatnot, they shave their head. Now, that's not Christianity, but it's the same thing. So to have one's head shaved was perhaps a sign of taking a religious vow to the one true God. Remember, Alicia is ministering in the north where there is widespread acceptance and even preference for foreign gods. So here is a guy who's, um, who is purporting to be following the one true God, and they're making fun of him. Okay, uh, now here's where it gets really weird. It's in uh, the last part of verse 24. It says, Then two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the children to pieces. Uh, that's a little extraordinary for a bear to kill 42 children. All right. So, but remember we said that the writer of these texts is trying to impart biblical truths. Sometimes he can, depending on who the writer is and what he's trying to say, he may choose to take a factual account or he may choose to express his thought in another way, but that no, it, it doesn't lessen the biblical lesson. Okay. So the kids were making fun of him, not so much for being bald, probably, but for being, you know, for being a true follower of the one God that they, and undoubtedly their parents, had rejected. So they're making fun of a holy man. So what's the timeless truth for us in this little vignette in uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 through 24? Well, uh, maybe this, maybe one part is, Show respect for your elders, right? Because they clearly weren't doing that. And there was a punishment of some sort, whether it was uh, 42 of them being eaten or not is not really the issue. Um, secondly, show respect to men of God, even more so. We should show respect for our, our priests. Ask yourself, do you ever have roast uh, priest for lunch after you go to Mass on Sunday and, um, you know, something doesn't hit you right and you, uh, but yet is doctrinally sound? Um, do you ever uh, show disrespect for the priest that way? So, um, by the way, it doesn't say that God killed the boys or it doesn't even say that Elisha summoned the bears. It just said that there was this, you know, that bears ate these little kids. So again, we don't have to take everything in these accounts literally. Some things are pretty clearly 
figuratively. And again, uh, a lot of these stories are passed on from father to son in an oral form. So if you want to teach your son a timeless truth, sometimes you use a story, you know, just like the little boy that cried wolf or whatever, um, to, to illustrate that bad things happen to people who are disrespectful to their elders. Okay, enough. I'm, that's all I'm going to say about that. Read a lot about it, and uh, these are answers that make sense to, to me. Uh, okay, next, uh, regarding uh, Alicia. Um, Alicia did miracles to help individuals, individuals, notably raising a dead child. That's in 2 Kings chapter 4. Multiplying loaves. He takes 20 loaves of barley and, he, and he's able to multiply that to feed 100 men with, uh, with some left over. So uh, raising a dead child and uh, multiplying loaves, um, what is that a foreshadowing of? Well, it's uh, Christ's miracles, right? Okay, so we, we see through a glass darkly when we, when we look at the Old Testament, but we have an expectation of a Messiah in the Old Testament that will be even greater than uh, these uh, prophets of the Old Testament. And certainly we see that. Uh, you'll recall once again that Jesus at the Transfiguration is um, surrounded by two other figures, one of which is Elijah representing the prophets. And Jesus outshone that prophet, right, as, as well as Moses, who represented the law. Okay, moving on. The only other thing I want to say about uh, Elisha is in 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Naaman. Now, Naaman is an army commander of, of the king of Aram. So he's an officer in an army that is an enemy of Israel at the time. But he's got bad skin, okay? It says he was, he was a leper. And so he heard about Elisha and the miracles that he had done, you know, the raising of this child and the, probably the multiplication of the loaves and things like that. And so Naaman says, hey, I don't know about this God about yours, but I, I heard great things about you. And... Uh, you know, maybe if he could invoke the Lord, his God, and, you know, and, and all that. So he goes to, I'll just summarize the story. He goes to Elisha, this Naaman, and he says, hey, what do I have to do around here to get uh, clean skin? And so Elisha says, I want you to bathe seven times in the Jordan River. Well, Naaman's disappointed. He wanted Elisha to just say some magic words, and it happens, okay? But Elisha says, go bathe seven times. So at first, he's insulted, and he says, hey, I've seen the Jordan River, okay? It's not that great of a river. We got better rivers where I am. Can't I just bathe in those? No, you have to bathe seven times in the Jordan River. Well, eventually, you know, his servant talks to him and says, hey, what would it hurt you to try this? You know, you got leprosy. Go for it. So he does. He bathes seven times. Uh, he plunged seven times in the Jordan River. That is in chapter 5, verse 14. And his flesh became again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So here is the Catholic doctrine of the day. What if 
Naaman went to Elisha and said, what is it going to take to save me from leprosy? And Elisha said, well, just believe, you know, just believe in my God or something like that. Um, would he have been saved? No, he had to do something. He had to do something that showed that he had faith, at least in Elisha and, and by extension, his, his God. Okay. Um, because he, he does refer to, Naaman does refer to Elisha as a man, a man of God. Okay. So he had to do something. And so do we. So it's not faith alone. Naaman would have had leprosy till the end of his days, but he actually had to do something. He had to, uh, he had to, um, plunge into the Jordan river seven times and, um, to, to be, and, and so it is with us as Catholics. We believe that it's not faith or works. It's both. It, um, we are saved by grace of God through nothing that we've done, but we are saved by grace through faith as evidenced by our works. And Naaman is saved through by faith in that he could be healed by Elisha and through the works of actually uh, going into the water seven times. So uh, that is our uh, verse of the day, if you will, for um, not by faith alone are you saved. Again, James chapter two bears that out as well. All right, so not faith alone. Um, now, there's a number of chapters that are just a bloodbath and the list of all the bad kings of the north in Israel, okay? Now, if you want to read about bloodbaths and stuff like that, okay, knock yourself out. But I don't see a lot of doctrine in here, except that you get a sense of how bad things have gotten, uh, particularly in the north at that time, that is to say the northern ten tribes, that is to say the nation of Israel, okay? But they're all bad kings, every one of them bad, some worse than, than others, okay? Now we get to chapter 17 of 2 Kings, and we see that eventually you got to pay the piper. All these bad kings encouraging the, um, the uh, worship of foreign gods, etc. And it says in chapter 17, um, in verse 6, chapter 17, verse 6. And in your margins next to chapter 17, verse 6, I want you to write 722 B.C. And then underneath that, write Sargon 2, S-A-R-G-O-N 2. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, you know, the, the king of, of that area. Um, uh, of the king of Assyria, I should say. Okay, so it's important. Sargon is not a uh, is is not a dishwashing liquid. It's the name of a of an Assyrian king. So what do we see in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria, that's meaning the northern ten kings, and deported the Israelites to Assyria, settling them. You know, just just settling them. Okay, so you probably want to underline verse six, because that's that's an, a date to remember in the history of Israel, 722 BC, okay? It all fell down. And why did this happen? 
I would say the rest, uh, let's say at least through verse 17 is worth underlining from, from verse 6 to verse 17, which summarizes why this happened. Verse 7, this came about because the Israelites sinned against the Lord, you know, for hundreds of years. Their God who had brought them up from the land of Egypt. Why? Because they venerated other gods. Then I'll skip to verse 13. And though the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and seer, give up your evil ways and keep my commandments and statues. Um, it says, verse 14, they did not listen, but were as stiff-necked as their fathers who had not believed in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes, the covenants. Verse 17 says they immolated their sons and daughters. You know, in other words, they actually performed some uh, uh, child sacrifice. We say that's still going on in the form of, uh, of abortion. Um, practice fortune telling and divination. So, you know, they're into the occult and all that sort of thing. Um, and even it says in verse 19, even the people of Judah did not keep their, their commandments. Verse 24 says the king of Assyria um, brought people from five different areas and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the Israelites. Um, then it says they picked one priest to stay behind, but all of the, all of the new people that they brought into Samaria uh, also brought their own worship of their own gods with them. And hence, that area, uh, the intermarriage of all of these people over time, produced a group called what? The Samaritans, who the southern tribes always, from this point on, will look down on and say, you're a bunch of half-breeds. You're not the true religion. You're not the true Israelites uh, because of all of your, your intermarriage. And the Samaritans, at first... Uh, you know, they worshipped multiple gods in addition to the uh, the regular god. Uh, it says in verse 41 of chapter 17, uh, Thus these nations venerated the Lord, but also served their idols. And their sons and grandsons to this day are doing as this father did. So why did it all fall apart? It all fell apart because all of these kings in the north, they... Uh, not only tolerated, but many of them promoted the worship of these foreign gods and all of the evil practices. So we get the government we deserve, right? And so ultimately, all those people in the northern 12 tribes get hauled off to Assyria, all the smart ones at least. There's a few, you know, farmers that are left behind. But, uh, and, and those 10 tribes never come back. Why? Because they left the Lord. And so don't you fall into that trap, okay? Um, we get the government we deserve. But ask yourself, are you being carried away by other gods with a small g? You know, the god of money, the god of uh, things, you know, the god of houses, the god of your foot favorite football team or whatever. What What is your alliance to? What comes first in your life? And there are consequences, eternal consequences, for putting something else above the worship of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, we, we see that we must be people of action. As with uh, Naaman, we must our, ourselves act as well as have faith. 
um, as, as a demonstration of, of our faith. We must bear fruit. And as for the people of, of uh, the nation of Israel, we can't put anything else above our relationship with you because only you um, are the key to eternal life. No other leader, no other thing, no other amount of money will get us to eternal life with you. So we thank you for reminding us of that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. <music>